delight that we have to come to the Lord and to render praise to Him, to pray together, to learn together, to read His Word and to hear it preached. This is how He grows us. If we desire to grow in the Lord, this is how He does it, when we come to Him in faith as God's people. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we read and hear His Word preached. Lord, help us, we pray, we come to You in humility, knowing that the only reason we can come before You is Your grace. We love You for bathing us in the blood of the Lamb and cleansing us of all of our sin, that we can call You Abba, but you can, we can call You Papa. So Papa, wouldn't You please come and help us to understand Your Word, to draw near to You and change us by Your grace. Grant us Your Spirit and an unction and anointing to the preacher and to the hearer alike. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. We're in Exodus 3. If you're joining us and visiting with us, we are in a new series on this great book. Exodus is so important to understanding our salvation, of how we have been redeemed from the bondage and tyranny of sin, and that He does this not because we're good or have anything to offer Him, but because our God is a God of grace and love and kindness and mercy. We read of this and of our God and His love for us from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. You know, the overarching story of Scripture is how a holy God redeems His people whom He loves. God created us in perfection and in holiness. Can you imagine being perfect and perfectly holy? But because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve's sin, the world is now broken and we are born 
now sinners and separated from God. We are separated from Him relationally because He is holy and we are not. Oil and water. But if that were the end of the story, that we are separated from Him, then we'd be in a sad state indeed. But praise God it's not. The Bible could end in Genesis 3 after God has cursed the ground and Adam and Eve and the serpent, but it doesn't. Even in the cursings in Genesis 3.15, we have this promise that something's going to happen, that God is going to redeem His people. This holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin and therefore has to expel Adam and Eve out of the garden will one day send a Redeemer so that His people might be brought near whom He loves. This is the story of the Bible, how a, a holy God redeems those whom He loves, His people. We pick up the story of Moses 40 years after where we left off last week. You'll remember that he was 40 last week, and in the space of one verse, or between the verses, he's now 80. And if you know the story of Exodus, 80 is an old age to be doing what Moses is going to be doing. Indeed, he's going to lead the people through the wilderness for an additional 40 years. But God has a way of choosing people Uh, that the world might not suspect to achieve His ends for His glory, people like you and me and Moses. Well, Moses had saved the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law or rule, in our last text. And now we see him serving as a shepherd of Jethro's sheep. Now it's interesting, he's been there 40 years, and whose sheep are they? They're not his. He is a shepherd for someone else's sheep. He, He is left... All of his privileged status when he left the Egyptians, he is now a shepherd, a lowly profession in any society, especially an Egyptian society, and they're not even his sheep. He's not a a well-off man. But as one commentator put it, God wanted a shepherd for his people. So his chosen man, Moses, had to learn how to look after someone else's sheep. Because that's what he was going to do for the rest of his life. He was going to look after the sheep of God's people, the sheep of God's pasture. We find him far away from his home of Midian. Uh, He's about uh, three, four weeks as the sheep walks from his home of Midian. And he is near the Mount of Horeb, or or Mount Sinai, as it's called. Do you remember Mount Sinai? It's going to play a pretty big, important role later in Exodus. And we're here. The story of God's redemption begins at Mount Sinai where he will call Moses to go and to deliver his people. Moses is leading. You know, you don't drive a flock, you lead them. And he is leading the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he looks over and he sees in the distance something rather odd. There's this bush, maybe an acacia bush. They're, they're very uh, popular and very prevalent in that area. He looks at, and it's on fire, and there's no one around. Now, now, he knows how these bushes work because in that area you would cut down shrub for your nightly fire at night so you could watch the flock and, and keep warm. So he knows that this thing, now that it is on fire, should soon be ending its fire state and going straight to ashes. But it's not. It continues to be on fire, but it's not burning up. And so he says, self, I'm going to go and check this thing out. Now get this. He leads his flock 
to God, the burning bush, just as later he will lead the flock of God to the same mount to meet with God. I don't know if there's anything there or not, but it sure is cool. (laughs) And when he gets close, the strangest thing is no longer that this bush is on fire. Now the bush is speaking to him. Normally, if bushes speak to you, you go to the hospital. But this bush is a special bush. It is now the temple of God. The God of all creation, who has made all things, has come down and is inhabiting this bush. And now the ground is holy, not because the grains of sand are special, but because our God is there. The angel of the Lord, we are told here, is here. And then in the very next verse, we find that it is not the angel of the Lord, it is God Himself. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord and the presence of God are married. And many have wondered if when the angel of the Lord shows up, if this is indeed the pre-incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ. I like that a lot. And I think we can go there. But the text isn't clear. What is clear is that God is there in the bush. Now, here's the thing. How you address someone really makes a big difference. You know, the Jessops, sorry, not the Jessops yet. Uh, Mark and Abby are in the midst of getting close, being married. Pray for them. Uh, and, uh, And they've sent out a bunch of invitations. And you remember this too, when you were addressing invitations, how these things mattered of what you wrote on the inside uh, envelope and what went on the outside envelope. Doctor, Mrs., Reverend, Reverend Doctor, Reverend Mr., Father, the Right Reverend Doctor, the Right Reverend Mr., the Honorable. There are just so many things that you can say, and it actually is important, less so in our society, but historically it's very significant. Indeed, um, General George Washington who would later become our first president, he, was, he received a letter from a British general three, four, and five times. And he never opened the same letter. Do you know why? Because it did not address him as the general of the Revolutionary Army. And therefore, he would not open it. How you address people matters. And so what does God call out? There's so many things God could have called out at this point. Here is the holy God of all creation, and we deserve to to die to be in His presence. And what does He say? He says, Moses, Moses. Now, in this culture and in Hebrew, to call someone by name twice is very significant. It is a term of endearment and love. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son. Saul, Saul, why thou you persecute me? It's a term of endearment and love. Moses responded, here I am. To God as he cried out, Moses, friend Moses, beloved Moses. And God immediately tells him two things. He says to him, you must not come near the bush. And you must take off your sandals. Why? Because this is holy ground. This is, even as we saying earlier in our service, we are on holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God is there. I think we have lost a sense of holiness in our evangelical, casual culture. Now, I'm an evangelical and I love evangelical theology. Those are good things. But we have lost a sense of holiness. 
God is our Papa. God is our friend. Jesus is our brother. But what makes those things so special is that God is also holy. And a holy God is called those things. What does it mean to be holy? The word holiness means to be separate, to be set apart, to be different, to be unalike. And God's differentness can be seen in two ways. One, by His very nature. We are not like God. God is not like us. He is the creator. We are the created. There is a difference when you write a book. You are not that book. You have put your image on that book. You are not that book. Our God has made us. We are different than our God. He has put his image on us. We are not God. He is the creator. We are the created. He is infinite. He is infinite, whereas we are finite, and we can only understand the most basic of concepts, and oftentimes those things get mixed up, especially math. Uh, He is eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, and, and needing no one or no outside energy to keep things going while I need the calories that we're going to get at lunch to make it to supper time. Our God needs no outside energy to keep going. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. I will change by the end of our message. He is not malleable. He is not fickle. He is not fluctuating. He is not inconsistent. He is not unsettled. He is not unstable. He is not pliable. And He isn't just like us. He isn't just plain finicky. Praise God. Isn't it good that we have a holy God who's not like us? You know, the the Romans and the Greeks, they had these false gods. Anytime you have false gods, you have demons behind them. You realize that, right? We we should not play with such things. Uh, but, But they had these false gods, and they were basically humans, because they, they had that battle of the good and the evil in them. They were just fickle, but they had superpowers. And you never knew what you were going to deal with when you came to a, a false Roman or Greek God. Not our God. Not our God. He's not like us. And praise Jesus, He isn't. But not only that, not only is He holy in His nature, that He's not like us in nature, but He is also holy in His character. We sin daily in thought, word, and deed. It is our nature. We are by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2 tells us. We are born sinners. We produce apple on the tree because we are an apple tree. We produce sin because we are sinners. But God's not like that. He's never sinned once in word, thought, and deed. In fact, the the law, it's hard to say you measure God by the law because the law is the revelation of His character. His holiness, what we consider holiness, is because of who He is. And not only is He uh, sinless, not only is He without sin, He is perfectly pure, and He cannot be in the presence of that which is evil. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. This is the God who appears to Moses. And says in a friendly manner, Moses, my friend Moses, come here. Take shoes off. This is holy ground. That's what you did in the presence of the superior in this age. Don't come near. Why? Because that was for Moses' protection. Because he could not be too close to the presence of a holy God. A holy God who constantly appears in Scripture in fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, our God is a consuming fire. 
He will show up in the Shekinah glory cloud above the tabernacle and the temple. And He will show up in the, in the pillar of fire at night. That is our Lord. And He is leading His people out of the, uh, out of the land of Egypt. My friend, it is because God is holy. This is why our sin is so serious. This is what makes our sin serious. And when we don't see God as holy and don't have that reverential awe and fear, we will see our sin as a very light thing indeed. But when we see God as who He is, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, we see Him as truly other, that even the perfect seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, the perfect seraphim who had never sinned, would not even allow themselves to look upon their Lord and covered their eyes with their wings, crying out antiphonally, back and forth, holy, holy, holy. It's only when we see God in His holiness we will see our sin and see that it is very serious. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. And yet we flirt with sin as if we won't get burned. We toy with sin as if it were safe. And then we charge into sin as if it were the path to joy instead of the path to death. What's Moses' response? You see this? We have Moses' friend come here. And yet the holiness of God. What does Moses do? We read in verse 6, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Well, the holiness of God is good news and it is bad news, right? It's great news. We have a holy God who's not like us, praise Jesus. We also have a holy God, and that's bad news for us, and that we who are unholy cannot be in His presence. But the text doesn't end here. Remember, the the overarching story is how a holy God redeems His people so that they might live with Him forever. And this is what we have in this text. There's great news here, because God didn't show up to smite Moses. Even though Moses showed up to to see His people, and what He he smote, he, He smited, I got in trouble with this one last week, He killed the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian. But but the Lord God Almighty did not show up to kill Moses. He came to use him and to save his people. He showed up to save his people. The good news is that while God is holy, he is a God of grace and mercy and love. And the amazing thing here is that he loves those whom he loves, not because we're good, not because we're lovely. Moses is a murderer, but because he loves them. We have no other reason that God loves us other than His love. Ephesians chapter 2. Praise be to God. He loves you in spite of your past and your present sufferings and temptations and failures. He loves you and knows more about you and all your secrets than even you will know. Why did He appear to Moses in the bush? He was stooping down to save His people. Look at verse 7 again. And the Lord said, I have surely seen... Seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because they're taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them into a broad land, a good land, milk and honey. Why did he come down? Came to save and to redeem the holy God, 
who cannot be in the presence of sin, came down in the midst of sinners in order to save his, his people whom he loves. A commentator that I, I like here uses this important word, he stoops. Just like a, a father whose child has been hurt, the father stoops down and picks up his child and holds him and comforts him. So our father has seen his people in affliction and suffering and he has stooped down to save his people whom he loves. Doesn't this just go straight to the cross? I mean, you've got to see the connection there. What happens? A holy God, the creator of all things, who made all things by the word of his power, stoops, becomes flesh, lives amongst sinners, takes sin upon himself, and dies a sinner's death under the wrath of God, so that those who are low, those who are sinners, his people might be raised up and forgiven. He stooped so that we might be saved. And this time, not to take us to a physical promised land, although heaven is a physical place. Not the promised land of Palestine, but the promised land of His kingdom. Christ makes us fit for heaven because a holy God has looked down. and He's seen you and me. He stooped down so that we might be saved. This means, by the way, Because the lawgiver came born under the law. This means because the the holy God came and lived amongst the unholy to redeem the unholy that they might be forgiven. This means that we can come to the Lord in time of need. Moses was welcome in the presence of God. We should not miss that. And and Moses is going to spend a lot of time in the presence of God as we go through our series on Exodus together. And so are we, welcome in the presence of God. Not because we're good, in spite of it, but because Christ's blood has been uh, applied to us and we've been forgiven and declared righteous and we've been declared holy as if we had upheld all the law. Because of that, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. My friends, the reason that a holy God stooped in His grace to save His people in the book of Exodus is because He loves us and He continues to. This is why we gather as those who have been redeemed, those who have come into contact with the love of God. And have been changed forever. And the more we see His holiness, the more we will see our sin. And in turn, the more we will see His grace and His love and His goodness to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are holy. That You are not like us. That You are not fickle. That You are not unstable. Lord, You are dependable. You are trustworthy. You are eternal, infinite. Lord, You are good. We thank you that you have stooped down. You stooped down and saved your people out of the bondage of Pharaoh. And you have stooped down in Christ to save us from the bondage of sin. We rejoice and give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen.